I hope this message speaks to you today. Not just because I'm the one preaching it, but because it spoke to me. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 18. And uh, we want to talk today. Do you know the, the verse in Scripture that says, Jesus loves the little children all the Well, maybe it's not a verse in Scripture. But it was inspired, right? It was inspired by Scripture. And one of those scriptures may very well be our text today. Let's read it. It's only three verses long. Luke chapter 18. Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I almost skipped over it. I almost just tried to just kind of tag some quick thoughts. And we want to just jump to that rich, rich young ruler in the next section. But I, I just felt, no, no, we planned on it. Let's stay here. And I'm glad we did. People were, verse 15, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Let's think about that. Several, uh, well, actually, about uh, 15, 20 years ago, this picture was taken, maybe 15, I don't know, something like that, 15, 16 years ago. This is my middle child, Tate. Ah, Everyone say, ah, ah. We used to have these pictures up in the check-in room if, that no, is no longer because we had to make our nurseries bigger, which is a good problem. Um, but I, I've, I, I have a hard time throwing this picture away. It's like, everyone's like, just let's throw it away, throw it away. I'm like, you kidding me now? Such a cute little girl. I just love her. To, she's my second, uh, Megan and I's second child. Just love her to death. But Jesus loves little children, and we love little children. As a church, we love little children, and you should love little children because Jesus. And as we, as we look to our text today, this is what you can picture is, is little kids just coming Running to Jesus, I'm not Jesus, but I'll, I'll play his role. Running to Jesus and jumping in his lap and, and sitting beside him and saying, Jesus, let's, you know, let's play thumb war, or, you know, whatever it is. I, that's what it is. If you, if you haven't seen, I think it's called Chosen, is that right? The, the movie, not the movie, the television series that was put out. They're getting ready to do the second series. But in, the, in one of the first couple episodes, they capture a really cool picture of probably what it maybe was like when, when the kids just come running up to Jesus and he's making them little games to play with and whatever. Jesus loves the kids. And we see that in our text so what can we learn from this text? Well, verse 15, first of all, let's just hit this. I want to hit some, some, some doctrinal things real quick, and then we're going to jump into what the Lord's really put on my heart to share with you. How can I lead my kids to Jesus? Verse 15, so in the first century, it was customary that, um, that parents would bring their kids to, uh, often, it could be a ra- the rabbi, a teacher, um, it could even be an elder of the synagogue or the church, someone who's kind of an eldership there. And, and, and they would, in a sense, they would um, dedicate that child to the Lord. They would pray a prayer that typically would include three things. This was often on the day before the Day of Atonement that the Jews would celebrate once a year. And they would pray a prayer that would include these three things. One, that they would be famous in the law. That that child would grow up to know the first five books of the Bible, forwards and backwards, right? And beyond that, that they, uh, they would be faithful in marriage. Yeah, they prayed that when that child was just little, that whenever they grow up and they get married, that they would be faithful in that. The third thing, that they'd be abundant in good works. 
And so as we look at, at what this was like, it says people were also bringing babies to Jesus. Now, um, Jesus, in a little bit, he says, let the children come to me. So I think the idea would be that there was probably, other than babies, there was other kids that were just running up to, the, uh, running up to Jesus. And Jesus was okay with this. It's kind of like our baby dedication. Now, this is kind of a, a no-brainer, but we, we dedicate babies. We don't baptize infants. We, we, if, if you have a new child, we'd be glad to bring them up before the church and show them off so they can smile and try to grab my microphone and, and do all kinds of fun stuff. And, and then we lay hands on them and we pray a, pray a blessing over them. And it's, this is more or less what you're seeing here in this passage. But the disciples didn't like it. The disciples were like, hey, get away. He doesn't have time for this. Jesus is way too busy for these little frog martins to come running up to him and come, these little kids, these little ones, they're coming around. Jesus doesn't have time. He has more important things, people with leprosy, people with bleeding, people with other stuff. He's got to take care of them. And what was Jesus's response? Well, we see that in verse 16. He said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God, let's just stop for a second. We've talked about God's kingdom several times already. Do you remember what that means? I mean, in modern day church lingo, a big part of that is salvation. I mean, the kingdom of God, like I, I, I submit myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I put my faith in him, receive freely his grace and his forgiveness, right? I'm saved, and now I'm a part of the kingdom. But the kingdom of God is, is even more than just salvation. It's, it's, it's all the package that we see given. I'm adopted. I'm now a son of Almighty God. I mean, all of that. The kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God belongs not to just little kids, but to such as these. Meaning the kingdom of God belongs to those who, who uh, have faith and have trust like these little kiddos. So understand, it doesn't mean heaven is only for children, but means that people need childlike attitudes to put their trust in God, where they just completely trust what, what this, what the, who this person, Jesus. Now, I, I, I liken it to, uh, again, this past Wednesday night, uh, I was walking into the building, and, and we had the men's campfire thing going on, but I was walking in, and, and the, there was youth just running all over. I mean, our, our youth ministry, student ministry right now is just Great things are happening. If your kids aren't a part, uh, I would ask, why not? Get them here. I think we have over 40 kids here this past Wednesday night. It's, it's great, exciting. Stuff's happening. Lives are being changed. But as I walk in the door, little Hattie, um, uh, White, uh, Jenna, and, and uh, what's that guy's name? Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy and Jenna's, Jeremy and Jenna's uh, young, uh, their daughter, Hattie, she comes running. She, well, I walk through the door, and she's like, Pastor Scott! I mean, I was like, you talking to me? And she comes running up to me, and she gives me a big old hug, and she just squeezes it. Now, for all, she, she had no idea. I could, like, I could have held her off. I could have said, whoa, tripped her. No, I'm not going to do something like that. Why? I, she, that wouldn't have even crossed her mind. Why not? Because there's this level of what? There's just this level of trust, you know? Hopefully, Pastor Scott loves me too, and he wants to hug me as much as I want to hug him. And, and I did then. I was like, yeah, hey, this is great. Here's, here's what I want you to get, though. That's the kind of faith that it takes to come to Christ. And that's what Jesus is trying to, trying to say here. In fact, it's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. Childlike faith means trusting God no matter what. 
always knowing that he has your best in mind. You love him because he loves you. You trust completely because the one you trust is completely trustworthy. Think about that. In in a parent-child relationship, children bring nothing to the table but what? Their own weaknesses, complete dependence on you. And they can't even feed themselves can't even bathe themselves. They can't even change their own diapers. I mean, they, they, can't, they can't take care of themselves. When a child is born into your family, that's how they come. And Jesus says that's the exact, exact way that we as strong men and women, we come to Jesus with what? Just complete and de- total dependence on you. I can't do what I need to do without the power of Christ in me. So there we have it. quick overview of a couple verses. Lord bless you guys. Have a great week. Nope. Sorry. Grab your notes because it's almost time to fill in the blanks here. Note these verses share something that's kind of a side thing of importance about bringing children to Jesus while they're young. Pointing your kids to Jesus. Which leads us to some very interesting thoughts that I believe are for every parent, especially with those with young kids today. How can I lead my kids to Jesus? A couple things. Some of you are sitting here saying, uh, not married, don't have any kids. And Well, you're probably around kids at some point. Well, some of you are like, well, my kids are out of the house. I'm, they're long gone. Well, the fact of the matter is you have grandkids, and those kids are still your kids. They're parents, right? And so... All of us, all of us, all of us. And maybe that part about your kids are out of the house, that's, you need to work some more on that. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. You're still their parent. And our goal until the day I go in the ground, I'm talking a lot about that today, but until the day I go to meet Jesus, that sounds better, here's the deal. I'm going to do everything I can to influence my kid to follow Jesus. Now, this is kind of a tough message because we're in the midst of this, right? I mean, um, our kids aren't out of the house. There's one of them, but we got two left. And, and so I, I, I'm not perfect. And, I, and let me just say this. My wife, Megan, does a, a, I mean, she's just, it's a natural thing. I, I don't know if you've ever read in, in uh, 2 Timothy where Paul is telling you, uh, Timothy is like, and the faith that's in you was in your grandmother, Lois. Megan's grandmother's name was Lois and was in your mother Eunice. Megan's mom's name is not Eunice. It's Cheryl. She's a part of our church. I don't know if she's here today or watching, but Cheryl, hello, my mother-in-law. Um, and, uh, uh, but but the, their faith, Lois passed it on to Cheryl and Cheryl passed it on to Megan. And it's just a natural, my wife is just really good at just naturally just help, helping our girls embrace faith. But I, I, as I was preparing this message, I thought, what if we just took just a couple of just a quick things? And even if you don't have kids, listen to this, because you will one day, and you are around children. How can I help lead my children and children to Jesus? First thing is I throw out to you is kind of a no-brainer. Fill this in. Recognize they are born sinful. I know many of you understand this theologically, but let's make sure we, it makes our way into everyday living out of our faith. 
Uh, and let me just theologically, though, nail this down for you. I want to jump to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46. It's on the screen. It's in, uh, well, no, it's on the screen. For there is no one who does not sin. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. Psalm 143, 2. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. Proverbs 29, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a what? A child. Genesis 8, 21, every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. Isaiah 48, 8, and we're called a transgressor from the womb. God says that about Israel. So children come to the world, with they're corrupt in their motives, their attitudes, their desires, ambitions, objectives. They are sinful. Do you get this? Recognize your kids are born sinful. And let this motivate you to bring them to Jesus, to point them to Jesus. Um. And once again, I, I, it might seem like a strange thing to start. Boy, that's real encouraging, Scott. Thanks. Uh, you're really down on children from what you just said. No. Just pointing out the reality. Because some of us, I've said this before. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Though that would be a really mean thing to do. I've never seen anyone beat a dead horse. But if I did, I would stop them. Okay? I just want to tell you that right now. But um, here's the deal. What goes through my mind sometimes as I'm thinking about what I say? I'm, so here's the deal. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's important uh, that we understand the lostness of our children. That, that we take it seriously. Um, that we're not, we're not in the business of parenting or following Christ to just raise good kids. I don't want my kids just to be good kids. I want them to be Jesus-loving kids. I want them to, that when I'm not there and Megan's not there, telling them how they should act or whatever, that they have the Holy Spirit there and they're listening, they're in tune, and they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. They will never be perfect, just like their mom and dad are not perfect. But I, I, want my, I don't want just good kids. We want Jesus-loving, believing, Bible-believing kids. That's what our passion is. And in order to get there, we've got to come to grips with the fact that, yes, they need salvation. They need Jesus. Which leads us to one quick rabbit trail. And I, I, I just felt so led to talk about this. And this might take a couple minutes, and then we're going we're gonna to finish out the rest of the message. But I want to say this. Because some of you, theologically, you've never been taught about, well, what about babies? Um, I'm going to get serious here for a second. That were um, uh, prematurely born and they die. Or what about a miscarriage? Or what about, what about um, the salvation of older kids? That, I mean, they're still in that young age, but they tragically are, are taken from us. What about those who don't have the cognitive ability to really understand their sinfulness and, and salvation? Are you saying that because they were born sinful, where are they at now that they passed on? Let me encourage you with some words here. So some time ago, I don't know who, but they came up with this idea of the age of accountability. The age of accountability. Now, I know some would debate it at this point, but I think there's really something to it. 
it's different for every child. But I think every one of our kids, we kind of saw it happen in them, and you'll see it in your kids, where they come to grips with the idea that, wow, they really begin to understand that they're sinful and that they need Jesus, and they need to deal with the sin of their life. Each kid, each person, it's at a different age or different time. And so, uh, so let me show you something in Scripture, though. Someone point to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Look on the screen. Romans 1, 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So this leads us to the question of what about children have no ability to really clearly see or reason about God? Wouldn't their natural incapacity to observe and reason provide them with an excuse, if you will, before God? Let's keep pushing on. When Joshua was, going, uh, was, was leading God's people into the promised land, there's this verse in Deuteronomy. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. Look on the screen. Moreover, your little ones and your, and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. And so God is talking in terms of there's little ones among you. They, they, they have no knowledge. The, the NIV uh, says it this way, if you turn the page of my notes. Um, says it this way. Do not yet know good from bad. And God says, they're, they're so young, they don't even know good from bad, but they're the ones that are really going to be blessed in the promised land. They're the ones that are really going to embrace it. But note how God says that phrase. They don't know good from bad. I think that's pretty significant. They don't know what's right and they don't know what's wrong. Therefore, they have no sense at that age understanding cognitive ability to know. Let me just throw one more, one more out to you. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I want you to hear it. David. In the Old Testament, there's this dude named David. Um, and David was a man after God's own heart, it says. But he committed adultery. He, he committed adultery with a gal named Bathsheba. And uh, she, he, they, they came together. And she, uh, she got pregnant. And, um, and David, uh, there's a prophet that came. Nathan came and prophesied to David that this is what's going to happen. And, and part of, because of his sin, this it's Old Testament. I don't have time to go into big explanation, but because of his sin, that, that young baby was not going to live. And so David spent time fasting and praying, and he's crying out, just, oh God, he's hoping to move the hand of God, hoping that my child, because of my sin, because won't need to, to die. And, and, um, and then the child died, and his servants asked him this question, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he said, while the children wants to let, his servants was like, as soon as you heard the child died, then you're good. It's like you're good. You're okay. You'd stop fasting, praying, crying, weeping. I don't understand this. And so David explained it to him. Here's the deal. While the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I, oh man, this is, this is like a healing salve for somebody here this morning. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I share this to bring great comfort and reminder that the child you lost in pregnancy, the child that was premature, the child that, that you loved, that David says, I'm going to go see them. 
there with you. Why? Because David's child is with Jesus. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I just want to encourage you today. It may have happened recently. It may have happened 30 years ago. But I want to encourage you that the little children, I think there's enough biblical evidence that the little children, when, when they are the ones who die, they go to be with Jesus. Those who cognitively were born in such a way that it's hard for them to really grasp the whole thing. And that's about as far as I'm going to go. But I just want you, I just want you to be encouraged that one day you shall go to him. You shall go to her and you will see those children again. And how awesome will that be? How can I lead my kids to Jesus though? Listen, make sure you understand and you do everything you can to point them to Jesus and that they see their need. They're sinful. They need Jesus. Second thing is this. Make Jesus the priority. Fill that in your notes, will you? Make Jesus the priority. Listen to me. A good education is nice, but it's not priority. Athletic ability is nice, but it's not priority. Family time is nice, but it's not priority. School, it's important, but it's not priority. Jesus is priority. I, I just encourage you. It's, it's a mistake to put school before church. Athletics before church. Listen, you've got one shot with your kids. One shot. Don't raise them around church. Raise them in church. When your kid starts working, teach them, mentor them that they need to tell their boss, Wednesday nights, it's out of the picture. I can't work on Wednesday nights because I'm coming to youth group. Sundays, I go to church, can't work. We learned. We, we put Jesus first. When, when your kids start working, they need to understand the importance of this. Um, don't teach your kids it's okay to negotiate away Jesus. Don't teach your kids it's okay to negotiate away church. We learn this in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus is talking about worrying. Do you remember that? Who worries? Do the lily of the fields worry? They don't worry. They're dressed wonderfully and better than Solomon or whoever it was. I mean, it's just that, that's the whole thing about worry. And then and he says in, in Luke 30, uh, 12, 31, but seek the kingdom of God. Seek God first. Put him first. And all these things will be added to you. The book of Matthew, chapter 6, 30, 633, says it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Make Jesus the priority. Third thing, teach them to love what God loves. I mean, just look through Scripture and see the things that God loves. What is it that God just, it, you can't get around it in the Scripture. Like he loves this. He loves this. God so loved the world. God loves the world. Do you love the world? Do we teach our kids to love everyone? Not just one socioeconomic level, but un, those that are, uh, uh, have less money than us and those that have more than us. Can I just hit that just for a second? Teach them to love what God loves. And, and, and uh, next, the next time I share out of Luke, we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. Do you know, God, Jesus loved rich people. He loved them enough to say, okay, this is what it looks like for you. This is how you can be in the kingdom. And Jesus loved poor people. He said, this is what, let's bless them, let's take care, let's take care of the needs, let's minister to them. 
Jesus didn't love either of them more than any others. Yeah, there was a special place in his heart for certain groups. But here's the deal. We see in Scripture, Jesus loved them all. And let's make sure that we aren't inadvertently teaching our kids that rich people, well, if I had that much money, I'd go. No. Well, those poor people, why don't they get a job? We've got all these jobs around here. I wouldn't say it if I didn't hear some of you say it. If I hadn't had conversations that a lot like that, maybe with a little less mumbling, more clear words, but I've heard you say it. The next time you're tempted to look at someone who's, who makes less money than you and is struggling, what if instead of getting all, meh, what if you spent time with them? What if you just created a friendship with them? And what if, what if out of that friendship, God could use you to mentor them, to lead them, and help, help give them some, some, just some basic biblical uh, thoughts on this is how you run your mind? What if instead of just standing there and saying, I don't understand why people go to the food pantry in Middlebury. I've heard, I've heard people say that. And, and, and it's like, we, we, we support the food pantry. We, we support that ministry because there are people that need that. And, and we love those people. Why? Because Jesus loved those people. And, and, and I say those people. They're us. They're, they're, it's not like them and us. It's us. We love. It doesn't matter the socioeconomic portion that wherever they find themselves on the scale Jesus loves them teach your kids to love everyone teach your kids to love the church and just not just Sunday morning church the thing you do on Sunday mornings but that, that you love we love God's house we love God's people and and beyond that teach your kids this in this season right here right now it's okay to disagree <laughs> when it comes to think listen don't break fellowship with anyone in this church over masking, over, um, over uh, uh, anything else happening in our culture right now in, in, that goes around COVID-19, it's not worth it. Don't break fellowship over, over minuscule issues. If you're going to break fellowship with someone, then let's make sure it's over the fact that they don't believe Jesus is the only way anymore. If you're going to break fellowship with someone, let's make sure it's over something that is meaningful, that is, that is, uh, that is the word of God. If, like if they're going to walk away from clear teaching, like this is the word of God, and if they decide, no, I don't believe that anymore, okay, then maybe there's a time to break fellowship. But right now what I see is I see conflict, and I see people jabbing at each other on social media and whatever. And let's just be real careful. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is, is maybe you should say it with me. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. If you're going to be on social media, just keep scrolling. You don't have to comment. Uh, listen, as I scroll through social media from time to time, I, I find at times my blood begins to boil. Just last night I was looking at some things happening in our nation. and I, Just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling. It's okay if you disagree. It's okay to disagree, but let's make sure we can't allow disagreements that aren't as important as the Word of God, the main thing. We can't allow disagreements to destroy the unity of our church. Amen? And I needed it to be a little stronger than that. Some of you on Facebook, uh, YouTube, maybe you outdid it. I am not watching today, but... Um, but listen, we, we can't allow disagreements that are happening in our culture. 
hey, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for you to get offended over the next few months until, until we have the election, okay? The election's going to happen. When it comes, when they finally get uh, some kind of a shot for COVID-19, and there's going to be debate, should you take it, should you not? Uh, it, there's going to be plenty of things for you to get offended about, but let's just, on this side, let's do everything we can. To, I'm not going to get offended over that. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I know it's difficult. Because there's people, you love each other, you're in friendship, and you're, you're on different sides. But let's make sure right now we don't do anything to destroy the fellowship. Why? Because Jesus loves the church. Jesus said, you're my bride. I mean, I, I, it's kind of weird, especially for us dudes. But, I mean, that, that we're the bride of Christ. His church is the bride of Christ. That's how much Jesus loves us. So teach your kids. Teach them to love what God loves. Teach them to love the word of God, prayer, um, teach them to love uh, 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 all the things that God loves. How can I lead my kids to Jesus? Well, teach them to, to, to love all the things that God's into. And let's go to number four. We're almost done. Teach them the word. Teach them the word. You knew I was going to get to that one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Look on the screen, will you? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Talk about the Lord. Weave it into your spiritual uh, 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 principles as you discuss. And I know some of you are great at this, but let me talk to especially the men, because sometimes it's not, A, it's not as natural for many of us to communicate with our kids. It's not a natural thing. For some of you, you're great at it. But it's not natural. It seems like I'm just going to leave the discipleship of my kids up to my wife. Well, here's the challenge. God's called us as men to be the leaders of our home. And that doesn't, that doesn't denigrate our wives in any way. We, we, we lead together. But God has a mantle of anointing on you to lead your family. And it's a challenge sometimes. But here's the deal. In, in the conversations you have, teach them the word. You know, I... Um, I'm going to share an illustration. I should have asked permission, but I'll ask forgiveness for later. But um, uh, uh, I, just yesterday, uh, one of the uh, strange pleasures that I have is, is listening to old music like Frank Sinatra and you know, Bing Crosby and some of them. Some of you are like, boy, you're an old man, Scott. And I, I don't know what it is about old blue eyes. But, um, but so my, my kids have kind of caught that, and, and they listen. And so yesterday even, we were listening to Fly Me to the Moon. Let me, and it, is, it, was, uh, it, it was that Fly Me to the Moon song. It's one of my favorites. But there gets this point where, um, <clears throat> where he says, You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. And I was standing there listening with, with my youngest, and I was like, man, I, I, I don't think that's biblical. <laughs> well, the truth of the matter, there's probably a lot of the Frank Sinatra did that wasn't very biblical, but, um, but here's the deal. And so what did I do? Uh, did I preach a message on, um, uh, well, hold on here, honey. Let me formulate a four-point four sermon, and here's some fill-in-the-blanks, honey. Would you just fill these in as daddy talks? No, I was just like, you know, is that right? I mean, do we worship and adore a person? Of course we don't. No. That's what I'm talking about. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the ability and the, and the gift. It's just to catch everyday moments. Use it as an opportunity to share your faith. You don't have to be someone who stands up on a stage, wears dark jeans and a shirt pulled out because he's a little chubby, and, and, and every week, you don't have to look like me and teach like me, preach like me, in order to share a message or share scripture with your kids. God is 
God has anointed you. I, that's what you've got to understand. You're trying to do this in your own strength and your own power. But I want to tell you right now, God has anointed you to do this. Walk in that anointing today. Walk in that parental anointing, that leadership that God wants to give you. Teach them the word. Let me ri- remind you of the obvious. You can't talk about what you don't know. So let's make sure we're in the word. And we know the word. Fifth and final thing, and then I'm done. Here it is. Spend time with them. How can I lead my kids to Jesus, Pastor? Uh, here, the fun, spend some time with them. Let your faith naturally rub off on them. I heard it said this way. Love plus time equals influence. Ooh. Love plus time equals influence. You know what you want, Mom and Dad? Let me just tell you what you want. You want to be able to influence your children to follow Jesus. And that means that we gotta spend time with our kids. The greatest goal you have as a parent is to point your child to Jesus. And each one of our children have different love languages, which sometimes, especially for us dudes, it makes it difficult. Because you know all these love languages? You ever read this book, Gary Chapman? Listen, guys, uh, can you bring up that next slide? Are the love languages on there? Yeah, there it is. I think it's Gary Chapman. I think that's the guy that wrote this book. But guys, listen. If you've never read the book, Love Language, I'm talking to men. Women, this is for you too. But most of us men, we would probably never pick up a book named Love Languages. (laughs) It's like, no, that's not really a guy book, okay? But can I encourage you? If you read one non-guyish book, this might be the most effective uh, book you could could purchase as as you help to lead your kids as well as to love your wife. Um, different people receive love in different ways. Do you, do you have one? Do you have a kid who just loves physical touch, loves to be hugged? Even when they were little, they would never stop, like just standing right by you. They always want to sit on your lap. I mean, they're like 18 years old, still holding your hands in public places. I mean, <laughs> you, you have one of those. There might need a conversation to be had there. But, um, but they, why? Physical touch is really the way they receive love. Other kids, it's words of affirmation. I mean, you just, when you tell them they're doing good, ooh. That others, it's, it is quality time. Like, the more time you spend with them, the more love they feel. Others, it's gifts. Man, one of your kids, you're just like, hey, I got you this. They're like, oh, thanks. And they run off and play baseball or whatever it is. But your other kid's like, you bought that for me? Thank you, Daddy. I'm so moved. It just blesses my heart. Because I mean, you, you took the time to think, and you bought that little whatever it was. And, and then there's acts of service. There's some just like, hey, listen, I shouldn't have, but I picked up your dirty clothes and threw them in the hamper. Hey, I shouldn't have, but um, uh, I, I did this for, or, hey, um, dad, thanks for picking me up at, after school or whatever. It's, it's kind of, they recognize that's an act of service. That means a lot to me that you do that, dad. I don't have to walk home. I mean, I mean it's 10 miles, but still, it just, <laughs> I appreciate that act of service. Each one of your kids receive love. And so, Scott, this is a challenge. You're right, it is a challenge. But what I would encourage you to do is pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. How can I more effectively lead my kids to Jesus and minister to them and show love to them, spend time with them in the way that they are most likely to receive? And commit to spending time with each one of your kids in a way that may look differently than the other one. It's not always gonna be easy. Stay on your knees asking the Lord for creative ways to spend time with your kids. Because listen to me, mom, dad, they need you. 
It changes as they get older, but they still need you. Mom, dad, they need you. You still have the opportunity to influence them with the gospel, influence them towards Jesus. And, and um, I, I think I, I was blessed with a, a great dad and a great mom. And my dad, um, I could see this. Most of you know my story. When I was 15, my parents were killed by a drunk driver. And so I lost them. I was almost ready to turn 16. But in the, in the years I had my parents, I, I, I can look back now. I mean, back then I was just like, you know, middle school kid, you know, early high school. I was oblivious. But I look back now and I'm like, my dad did strategic things to connect in our lives. I remember in the late 80s, there were these things called van conversions. You buy these vans, these, uh, you know, these, uh, and, then, and then you put a top on them, and then you put nice windows, and you put TVs and Nintendos and these really unique things called CD players. I mean, yeah, uh, you'd put them, and you'd deck these things out, and people were snatching those up. My dad was in sales my whole life. And uh, most of my life, he sold airtime for WFRN and local radio stations, these commercials. And I remember going into the studios as he'd make some commercials, and he'd go, that was reel-to-reel time. And I remember sitting in those studios, and I, I can smell WFRN studio right now, I'm just telling you. I, could, I, I, I love that. If I wouldn't have gone in ministry, I would have loved to do something in radio. I have more of a face for radio. And, but there was an opportunity my dad had to start selling these van conversions, and it was going to mean a whole lot more money for us as a family. And I was hitting middle school age, so it was an interesting time for me. And I remember that day, though, when he communicated with me. I remember we walked in the Essen house over here. My love for the Essen house started young as a child. Now, we, we walked in there, and if you ever see the bar, the bar at the Essen house, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, if you would have seen what I walked into the church with today, out at the church sign, I'm pulled in, this is a diversion, I pulled into the driveway, there was, uh, by the church sign, there was a Budweiser can. And so today, your pastor literally walked into the church with a can of Budweiser in his hand. It's in the trash. I was like, dear Lord, help nobody see this. Because this could be bad. But we walked in and sat at the, the food bar there, or whatever, in, in the Essen house. And I remember my dad had that conversation. He's like, Scott, listen, I, I'm going to be gone for a week, Monday through Friday, and then I'll be home for a week. Gone for a week, home for a week. And the last two or three years of his life, that's what it was like. I was in my middle school years. I was spending a lot of time with my youth group friends on the weekends anyhow, school during the week. You know, it honestly was a good time for that to happen. It was, it, there was no, I mean, I missed him some, but, but my dad, I, I still, he still wanted to be an influencer with me. I often wonder, what if I would have said, Dad, no, I don't want you to do that. What would have you done? I don't know. Um, but I remember he reached out and had that conversation. I talked this week with my sister, Julie. I have three older sisters, and um, Julie's the youngest, but they're all older than me. And Julie hit a time in her junior year of high school where she, she was like, she was straight A, I was straight C, you know. She had the pressure of that, you know, and she was, and, and she shared with me the, the context of, of what I remembered. And um, she was going through a real tough time, and her and mom and dad were fighting, kind of going at it like this. And, and my dad, um, this was just about a year before they died, my dad wrote a handwritten letter. That, uh, a handwritten letter is when you have a piece of paper with ink, and you're, <laughs> you're not doing one of these. But a handwritten I just for anyone who doesn't know what those were, a handwritten letter, and bought, and bought her this little teddy bear, and it had a little whiteboard on it, and he said, let's communicate. Love, Dad. And about a year, she didn't have the opportunity to communicate anymore with Dad. 
because dad was with Jesus. But this is what I'm saying, mom, dad. The most important thing for you is not your career, how much money you can make selling van conversions in the 80s. That's not the important thing. The important thing is, is your son still connected with you? Is your daughter connected with you? Why? Not just because you want to have Thanksgiving deal, uh, meals that are fun and enjoyable, but because, listen, you want to influence them with the love of Jesus Christ. You want to point them to Jesus. And as we started our text, and as we look at our text in, in Luke chapter 18, that's what Jesus, let the children come to me. Parents were bringing their children to, to Jesus. You say, Scott, I messed up. Where were you 25, 30 years ago, Scott? I wish I would have heard this message and would have taken it to heart some time ago. Let me just remind you of something. God is, is a God of resurrections. You say, Scott, I messed up with my kids. I wish I could. Don't ever, hear me, don't ever discount what God can do with a man or a woman of God who gets on their knees, humbles themselves before God, and says, God, I messed up. I need your help. And if I were you and you have children who are far from God, then every single day, stop beating yourself up over it. Stop feeling guilty over it. Get past that and just begin to pray in faith. Lord, I thank you. Begin to pray prosperous. Begin to prophesy over your children. I thank you that they're coming to Jesus. I thank you that you are setting things up in their life right now that's going to draw them and bring them into Jesus. Get past all the past and look to your future and trust that God's going to use you. Dad, you can do this. Mom, you can do this. Point your kids to Jesus. It's the number one thing. Are you with me today? Would you stand with me? Would you stand? Worship team, come. Worship team, come.